Bear Down Bears fans, we've got Courtney Cronin here. I know you guys have been waiting for this episode because what the heck is going on inside of Hallis Hall? She'll break all of that down with us. Uh, we got to also talk a little bit about what we have coming up versus this Chiefs team because that is the game on Sunday. So we'll dive into that. Justin Fields commentary, Ryan Pohl's commentary, all that and more on today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, and drop a bird down in the comments below. Leave that five-star review on the podcast side. You know what to do. Let's jump in to the show. I don't even want to waste time on this one, <laughs> although we do have to say that the podcast is brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana. Courtney, it's been a week. <laughs> It has, and we made it to Friday. I guess that's really the only silver lining that we have, considering everything that transpired from Wednesday to now. That's three days. Does it not feel like that was three months? All in that's and that's we're three weeks into three the years. season, yeah. and it feels like it's been a year. Right? It, it, it's it's definitely the most chaotic start to a season that I've ever covered. And I've covered yeah. a number of different NFL teams. And this one takes the cake as far as so much calamity happening so early on. Like you've, you know, when I covered Minnesota, there was stuff that happened throughout the season, but yeah. at least like you got past the first couple of weeks before the wheel started falling off, or at least the perceive the perception that that's the case. But there's a lot going on at Hallis Hall right now. I think the team's been in damage control, crisis communication mode the last yep. 48 hours. And, and that's rightfully like they need to be because there's been so much that they have let get out of control. And that's yep. unfortunate for them as they're trying to get this rebuild on the next step, the next turn, the next page to it. And it feels like they're still stuck in last year and maybe even regressing, but Sometimes I think you have to hit rock bottom or have to have an explosion <laughs> of something happening where it's just chaos in yeah. order to move forward because that's when you, at least like in, in times that I've seen this, whether it's in politics, whether it's in sports, whether it's, you know, whatever arena, like to see something just like, all right, this isn't working. You have to have that like combustible event that, ends up sparking change. And if you're a Bears fan, you hope that this is the week that gets this thing on track. But it's a tough test when you have Kansas City on the road uh, at a nationally televised game yeah. this Sunday. It doesn't make it any easier. And, and the worst th the worst case scenario, right, is they just come out and look exactly the same, right? Like you did all of or this. Worse. We went through this entire week for what? But let's start off the first quarter here because – uh, listen, there's a lot to get into. There's a lot to unpack with the Allen Williams situation right now. Um, we all, we heard all the misinformation that was flying around Twitter. Of course, Ian Rappaport says Hallis Hall was never raided. Peanut Tillman was not involved in any of this, which my, which to me is the best part of the storytelling that we saw on Twitter. Uh, Flus is out here crying somewhere, and Peanut Tillman's consoling him. But Pat McAfee did say, because everybody went, well, hold on now. There's a key part of this missing. Was Allen Williams' home raided? Pat McAfee going out there saying that his sources have confirmed that Allen Williams' home was raided by the FBI. Where are we on that? Do we know that that is true or not? Or are we still in speculation mode on all of this? Look, I'm not going to comment on what Pat McAfee said. And I know it's on my network on ESPN. Like he's not a reporter. He's not a journalist. So yeah. if his sources are telling him that he can stand by that, but there's like, that's what you got to caution yourself with here because 
dating back to last Friday, when I really started to dig into this, when we find out that Flus is going to be calling defensive plays against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like it's pretty serious when your defensive coordinator, when any coach has to miss a game, like during yeah. the week, I mean, we've seen it play, you know, players, coaches, your, your, your significant other has a health issue or somebody has a baby or things like that. Like usually it takes, you know, a day or so, uh, and you end up coming back to work, but Last week with Nate Davis, with the death in his family, he ends up having to miss the game, and he misses a couple. He misses a couple days uh, on the back end. He was back in the building on Wednesday, but there was that, and then there was Alan Williams, and the, the, it was just like there was so much ambiguity around his absence, and so much, so many vague comments that it kind of opened the door for a lot of the speculation that you saw yeah. uh, floating around. And I don't give credence to any of it. I think that people who are reckless with the way that they report things. And a lot of times, like this is the age that we're in where everybody's got a podcast. Everybody has a YouTube channel. Everybody has sources. And I'm using air quotes for those of you guys who are listening to us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Like you have to make sure that the information you're putting out is locked up yeah. and accurate because if it's not and what happened on Wednesday was some nobody with a YouTube channel who is has never stepped foot inside Hallis Hall puts out some really egregious things like and if yeah. it's proven true like that's that's really terrible and I I was very surprised by the way that the team addressed that because this isn't coming from a credible media outlet. These were rumors that were put out there and creating pretty wild rampant speculation. And the team chose to address that and say like, Hallis Hall wasn't raided. Um, You know, there was no police involvement here. And I just, I was so surprised that they gave life to that because, you know, one and I think this is kind of the day and age that we're at on Twitter, excuse me, X, like there's no verification process. Anybody can get a blue check. And I don't know whether, you know, these places where this information was coming from did, but it makes your job as someone who's there every single day covering this team a lot more difficult. So I look at the situation as completely preventable and avoidable. Yeah. It, nothing is sitting well on this right now. Health reasons, family reasons, whatever the case may be with Alan Williams, what he put out in on his own stationery, it was not on Bayer stationery, it's just on a, no letterhead, just a piece of paper. Like you're feeding into, hey, there's something else here yeah. by how this whole thing went down. And it's um it's a really tough situation. I can tell you this, it's not over. This is not just going to quietly go away because you now have everybody on your scent if you're the Chicago Bears because of how they handled this in the first place. And they need an adult in the room. That adult is Kevin Warren um, because they clearly dropped the ball on this so badly early in the week where they, you know, every time Matt Eberflus went to the podium, it was, I don't have any update, like leaving the door, like, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get back to, when we get to it, when he was asked about is Alan Williams going to call defensive plays when he comes back. So clearly that lets you know that there was something last week that they knew that they couldn't really talk about, but the way that it was handled, like if this was truly, this is why I understand people like when they're like, this is fishy. It doesn't make a lot of sense because if you, if you, if, if someone really had like a serious, serious health issue or there's something going on with their family, it's, you would go and approach it with compassion and with empathy. There's been none of that. 
None of that from the statement, none of that from the coaches who have spoken about this, none of that from the players. And I get it. Players and coaches have been put in a tough spot, the ones who have had to answer to this. But the head coach and how this has been handled, I think that, I mean, and you can think like, okay, they set him up, they set Matt Aberflus up for failure, having to go out and address this stuff, like whatever. It still was not handled properly. That's the bottom line here. And that's why we're in the situation today where, there's so many questions that have yet to be answered about his absence and and what it means for this team. It's it's so interesting, right? I, I love getting the journalistic standpoint on this from a, a, a accredited journalist, right? Because realistically, what the original tweets are that sparked the fire on all of this didn't go into the depths of what it ended up becoming, right? But the fact that you included Peanut Tillman, people took it to the nth degree of, oh my God, there's fires everywhere. Hallis Hall has been raided, right? Like it was like that. It it, it turned into like that uh that, that video clip of just like the military coming in and like kicking doors down, and knocking yeah, over let me, bases. Let me, let me pause you there because. There's the idea, like, that word, raid, people think the feds are coming in and yeah, kicking yeah, yeah. your doors down. There's a freaking SWAT team. Like, <laughs> You can just walk in the front door. Like, realistically. Like, if there's an investigation going on, the team can cooperate. Alan Williams yeah. can cooperate. If there's an internal thing that isn't even dealing with police present, like the police being involved, if it's an internal investigation with the team, if that's the case, like, I just... That's how it grew so out of control because yes. people are thinking about it like they think in the movies, like, oh, how this happens. Or it's like CSI, Hallis Hall. Like, that's just ridiculous. There, um, there's people roping down the side of the building on, at the Walter Payton Center. It's just insane. <laughs> like, that's what gave it life when, when no. people think, you know, people's imaginations ran wild when yes. they started to see things that were going on from unverified sources. And but as a I, journalist, right? Does that make you have to be even more yeah, careful course. with how you tweet things out? Because what the original tweet was, even though a good chunk of it is fiction, was it what it turned into? And everything went crazy after that. Yes. And I think when you when you have the responsibility of working in a place like ESPN, I mean, you're, yeah. the, the four letters carry weight. Absolutely. And that's that's you have to be so cautious to what you are giving life to and how you frame things and that's what is happening here where i'm in i'm a, i have a firm belief that this is not over like we're going to end yeah. up finding out more about what happened but you can't give life to every rumor that you read you can dig into things you can yeah. you know I thought what was kind of irresponsible yesterday when you know the Pat McAfee shows kind of pontificating about these things they're alluding to what they think it might be. Yeah. And I think that's unfair. I think that that's not how on a massive network, like you should handle those things because that's breathing life into something that you, you're just speculating at that point. And that's right. the problem because we don't know truly where this is going and, and how we even got here in the first place. That's the thing. I know Ryan Poles gave a little bit of the timeline yesterday with you know, we first find out Alan Williams isn't there last Thursday because of a personal absence, but then it right. starts snowballing into days, not just day, uh, one day, but like, we still don't know. We still don't know what led to this. If there was some sort of incident, if there was something, some like combustible event that kind of got him to this point where he had to resign and you can believe like, you know, 
His lawyer, I spoke to his lawyer. His lawyer is obviously going to have his best interest at heart. And right. I mean, that's what he's paid to do to represent a client. So I just, I just, I'll say this. I caution people, just take everything with a grain of salt, that what you read, what you hear, and just make sure that when you are hearing things on social media, because we have a way to consume information now that just is so different from five, 10, 15 years ago, even oh, beyond that. Like, so just, if you, and, I, and I, look, there's a lot of fan journalists out there. Or, or, I'll call them, I don't know, I really do think like journalists, like you have to, you have to know what you're doing. Like people, anybody can have a YouTube channel. Anybody yeah. can have, you know, a platform fan. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not journalists, not reporter. I think, I think you said it right. It's YouTube. Listen, at, at the well, end like, of the I, day, I, I, I'm a really podcaster. Good, yeah, I'm a YouTuber. One, there's some really good ones out there. I don't want to like come in here and shit on everybody who does right. it because there's some really good people who don't have the credentialed access and the, verification of a legitimate news outlet behind their name that do a really good job as fans and people who talk about things. Right. But like, just I don't know if it's trashing them. No, because listen, like I think there's a lot of people, we won't say any names that we know in all of the businesses and there's journalists that are accredited that we would all go. Eh, I, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He said that that's okay. Yeah. Like I, I, I pay no attention to that. So listen, YouTubers, podcasters, it is what we are. Um, and it's a different side of media, Correct. right? And it's, yeah. that's all that's it is. That's, that, that, it, you're right. Like media, I guess is the word that I am looking for there. Like fan media. Yes. There's some really good ones out there. Some great podcasts or some great conversations that, ha that come from those places. But well, thank it, you, Courtney. I appreciate you. Of course. Um, <laughs> but like when it comes to serious in ish issues like this, yeah. you know, people, Oh, I have a guy who told me this. I have someone who told me that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just, you got to be, be careful, careful with where you hear that stuff from and what you are willing to go and put your name behind. Because notice the people who put this stuff out on Wednesday, where'd they go? They all disappeared. They yeah. all fell off. And they now like what you say has consequence. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like a good place to and I think go on that. My, my thing with it all is if you're going to put this out there, if you believe in your sources and stand by them, you shouldn't be hiding uh, 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 and and running into a hole if you stand by. The one thing I'll give Pat McAfee credit on, what he said on his sources, he went on his platform that is a massive platform and said that he didn't run away from it uh, when things might have gotten tough, right? And, and that's the one thing for me where it's like, if, I believe, if I'm to believe your sources, if you believe your sources, you'll stand by them mm -hmm. and go on and do your show and not just skip over all of the different things that that you know you've put out there into the media so you gotta you, yeah it's like courtney said you gotta be careful right i've had people tell me stuff that has proved to be true and i just wait and see and guess what the next time i trust them a little bit more and you wait and see by the third time it's like all right this guy might know what he's talking about but being right on a, I think that's the other thing too. Being right on a portion of the story doesn't make you right. A hundred percent. It's better to be <laughs> the number one rule in journalism. And I know that sometimes this gets glossed over because it feels like everybody's trying to like get something out there and, you know, process stuff, processing things in real time. Yeah. It's better to be right than to be first. That's like our number one rule. Uh, it's, it's kind of like you're, you know, in, in medicine, they take the Hippocratic oath, do no harm. In journalism, you take really like your own oath of it's better to be right than to be first. Yeah. Because we all want to break news. We all want to 
be the be in the know, but it's you have to make sure your information is is locked up before you come and present it to to the masses because yeah. there's consequences for things that you get wrong no matter what the scope is if it's something as serious as what was being alleged the other day versus you know just getting oh like this player was supposed to sign and he didn't yeah and i think i think the part people miss is right ian rapaport is ian rapaport now he didn't start that way. <laughs> it takes time. You have to build these contacts up. Uh, let's get back into a little bit more because I think that this is such an interesting part of this entire Allen Williams story. Has Matt Eberflus addressed the team on this? Because we heard from Tyreek Stevenson yesterday uh, and basically saying they've been focused on we got to beat Kansas City. Who cares about this right now? We have to go out there and beat Kansas City. But we did see Diana Rossini say that Flus addressed the defense individually about this. Where are we at on that? Has Flus gone out there and addressed this team? I actually kind of took what Tyreek Stevenson said with a grain of salt, too, because the messaging from a lot of players, whether they were told to do this, which is what I believe, versus you know their natural instinct, they don't like we know this is a distraction and we know yeah. that distractions are cancers to NFL teams. Like yeah. it is like the one thing they try to avoid. And I think coaches were put in a tough spot. We talked to defensive coaches on Thursday and anybody that you presented the question to of how are you addressing this with players? How are you handling this? The messaging more or less was we're on to, we're on to Kansas city. Yeah. And it comes across in a way that feels very cold, very um, hands off. And if somebody truly is going through a health issue, a family issue, it just feels like there's something there's a there's there's something disconnecting there because you don't there's no empathy in that right right which of course then opens a door to well maybe it's not these things but um how it's being addressed with the team you know i talked to jalen johnson yesterday in the locker room tyreek stevenson spoke as well and we talked to a couple other players a lot of players are trying to just and you can't fault them they're in an zero and two hole right now where it's you know, it's a matter of like, we need to climb out of this. We can't be focused elsewhere on somebody who's not, not coming back. They're not coming right. back. Alan Williams is never coming back to the Chicago bears. That is, right. that is a fact. Um, this is, this is not a leave of, abs- leave of absence. This is him being gone forever from this organization. But on top of that, you do, you would like for players to feel empowered to be like, okay, well, how are things, you know, if they have questions to be able to answer that, to get them asked, and answered, but I, I saw the conf- I know I saw what was put out there from the athletic and the conflicting reports of like what Stevenson said, um, and you know that it hadn't been an ad- had not been addressed. What I can tell you is that there's so much going on inside that building right now. I would not imagine they spent a whole ton of time on that. From my understanding, the players found out that this re- resignation was coming around, if not at the exact same time that we did. So yeah. Stevenson like, said, I found out the same way y'all did. Like, yeah. And that's, and that's, that's understandable because this was such a chaotic day on Wednesday and yeah. you know, the players can't be focused on, Hey, what's going on with their defensive coordinator? Because at that point, Flus is calling plays. They don't yeah. really in the moment need to be worried about what's going on with the guy who was their defensive coordinator. They have their head coach who is their defensive play caller there to, you know, kind of right the ship and kind of keep this thing on the track. So I, I can't imagine that nobody had any clue and that players were just left out in the dark. I would imagine they did not spend a lot of time on it. 
which makes sense because there is a mountain here. Like the fact that like preparing for Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City yeah. seems like it's on the back burner this week, at yeah. least in terms of what we're talking about, is wild. But like any other week, that would just be like a non-starter. It's just crazy to think about. But that day I, as a whole, like everything at the beginning of it is on the back burner. And like, there's a lot at the beginning of it. Like even just now, like I got a Twitter alert from the Chicago Bears that focused on KC. That's I saw like, that. Yeah. Is, that just tells you what you need to know about how this team is still like in tunnel vision, crisis mode, blinders on. We cannot think about the outside stuff because they really, I mean, really, it doesn't no service to do that. You know what I mean? Like to dwell on this and be like, okay, Alan Williams, this Alan Williams, that like, it does them no service, but I don't believe that. I just don't believe that they would be in a situation that would be helpful to them to dwell on this. But yeah. I also don't think that they were like, okay, like, let's just pretend the guy's not here anymore. I would imagine yeah, yeah. like, you know, Alan's not here and that might've been the extent of it, but I don't, there was probably not a long drawn out Q and a situation um, going on with anything. It's it's so interesting, too, because this is not a... That's not a vibe that is just special to this situation, right? Like, that's just football. And I think that that's the only sport that is kind of like that, where it's literally like, oh, man, he's down. All right, move the chains. Like, so, trainers, take care of him. Move the chains. Oh, Alan Williams is gone. Move the chains. Like, that's just the mindset around... It's the next man up Around football. Yeah. yeah. No, I... And this kind of brings me because I don't know if you and I ever talked about the Nate Davis situation since that happened, the, you know, finding out about the the death in the family. Right, right, right. Like this brings it back to the crisis management that the bears have failed at. Oh, and, horribly. you know, horribly. you would like to think that with a new team president and CEO who has been through these sorts of situations before he's taken stock of everything and realize in realizing, okay, this needs to change. This needs to be different. These people, certain people who might not have jobs at this point next year because of how things have gone so poorly. This is an audition for everybody in this organization to figure yeah. out if you're going to fit into Kevin Warren's plan or not. But with the Nate Davis situation, the Bears could have handled that so much differently. And I go back to how the Warriors handled Andrew Wiggins' absence this past year. Remember he missed like 30-something yeah, yeah. games, 40 games in the regular season? No one really knows what's going on with his, with whatever his family situation was, but from the beginning, because what I was told, this has been such a touch and go thing with Nate Davis dating back to training camp. And part of the reason why, like not the entire reason, there were some injury concerns and some other things, but this is part of the reason why he had been in and out throughout July, August. And then, you know, even yesterday he had a personal day and we don't know what that's about, but I look at this and I think that they could have handled it differently from the very beginning. And then maybe it's a learning experience for them. You hope it is at least that they can go forward and know, okay, if something is a personal reason and you can give at least a little context, that'll back the, that'll back the people off on that because yeah. nobody's going to dig. If it's a family thing, they're going to give, they're not going to give light to it. Like they're going to be respected, but there's also, you know, I, I just think you do yourself a big disservice if you leave the door open for reckless speculation, as they did with Nate Davis, as they did with Alan Williams. Yeah, and, and I think, re- right, like, 
it, it's not telling us what's happening, right? I, I know everybody's like, well, it's none of your business what's going on with Nate Davis in his life, right? He ends up losing somebody. All you have to say is he's dealing with something with his family. I don't care who you are. At that point, if you attack Nate Davis on that, I'm going to be like, well, you're a moron because family's first over everything and you have nothing to say about this. Be, like, go find loved ones in your life. Like, that's, that's really the standpoint the second that you say he's dealing with a family thing, that's where we're going to leave it at. That's all you got to say. I don't need you to tell me what's going on. I don't need you to tell me that someone in his family, unfortunately, is passing away. I don't need I don't need none of that. But it kills, like you said, it just kills the speculation. I think even with Wiggins, right, they said it was a family thing. From the very beginning. And a little bit of speculation popped up at the end of it there. But by then it was like, all right, who cares? Shut up. Like, it, it popped up because Paul Pierce opened his mouth. Yeah, 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 Somebody yeah. who's not even in the organization. I'll, That's how I'll it popped do it. up. That'll do it, you know. <laughs> but like the meat, like, and I and I, I used to cover that team. I know yeah. the people out there covering it. They handled it in a way where this is clearly whatever he's going through is serious enough. This guy yeah. plays basketball for a living in the NBA. It's serious enough to keep him away from doing it, and it's not just a load management bullshit sort of thing that's going on that's keeping him away. It's a family yeah. thing. It didn't open the floodgates to speculation that mattered because you don't have people asking questions about it. You don't have people you know, publicly flaming this guy the way that happened with Nate Davis. And I just, I think that there's a lot that bears can learn from how they, how poorly this week went um, at the onset and like how they can try to climb out of this because it, it's a five alarm fire right now. And there's, you know, the, what would, what would put that fire out is if they start winning a lot of games, but still it feels like they're far away away from doing that. And that unless things get, you know, back on track here somehow that if this stuff continues, that might cop that might, might cost people their jobs. That's yeah. the bottom line of all of it. If you hey. don't get it figured out, that could cost you your job. No, that was a long first quarter, but I feel like we need to jump into that and really dig deep into that topic there. Cause uh, I mean, Courtney's up there. She's one that's seeing all this go down I, immediately. I knew, I knew something was going on when I texted Courtney and I was like, what the heck's going on? Courtney's usually like a, a five to 10 minute text back person. Yeah. I didn't hear from her all day. And then I heard from her that night, like, so, you know, now like, I was like, oh, okay. All right, man. It was, Let's jump I into mean, the it was, second quarter. It was crazy. <laughs> Let's jump to the second quarter brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana. You can see John Malay and Pete Davidson at Hard Rock Live. Yes, Courtney, he does do stand up. Uh, Friday, October 6th, tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Here's something that I think is interesting from the football standpoint of where the Kansas City Chiefs are. I went through and I was like, okay, what do we really go? I do this every week. What are we really up against here? Right. Of course, Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey. But then you start to look at the numbers and it feels like we might be up against Matt Nagy. Now, it helps when you have two Hall of Famers, but I just want to put these numbers out on the podcast. Both teams at this point have 22 total drives. Through two games, of course. Uh, both drives per game right now, 10 and a half, 11. Both teams have 36 first downs. Both teams have 13 rushing first downs. The Chiefs have one more passing first down than the Bears, 22 to 21. Both teams' third down efficiency is in the toilet, 35% <laughs> to 33%. Uh, fourth down efficiency, both teams, one for two, two for three, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's another, what was the other stat that I really wanted to bring out here? Oh, uh, they haven't scored that many more touchdowns than us. I believe they've scored one more touchdown than the Chicago bears in total on the season offensively. And, uh, 
Outside of that, I mean, interceptions thrown three to two right now. Are the Chiefs the Bears and we just have better players over there? Is that what we're going up against here? You know, let's go back to week one. They didn't have two of their best, two of their three best players when Chris Jones wasn't there and with uh, Travis Kelsey. Week two, they're facing a really good team at Jacksonville. Like Trevor Lawrence might be an MVP candidate and they're on the road. He played that day. They're on the road. (laughs) They were on the road. So like, I their offense looks like it's kind of in a rut right now. Yeah. I get that, but I don't anticipate them looking the way that they did the first two weeks as they try to get back on track here with a home game, you know, at Kansas City. Look, the Bears are in a lot of turmoil right now, and they've got a lot of missing pieces. We don't know if Eddie Jackson's playing. I kind of no. doubt it at this point because yeah, he, he hasn't, hasn't practiced done much the last all. two he days. Hasn't done anything, yeah. And Josh Blackwell, at least for the sake of having um, maybe a better nickel corner, more equipped than Greg Stroman, um, he practiced in full yesterday. So maybe, maybe that, that secondary will look a little bit more um, look better, I guess. But I I don't buy that the biggest issue that Kansas City has had has been the drops, obviously with the receivers. But like oh, yeah. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey felt like they were like gearing back to getting on track. And look, he was still nursing that knee injury. I don't think he was at 100% last week. But maybe now a few weeks removed from that, he'll be in a better spot, and that will be the spark behind this offense. Because, yeah, like you look at it, 17-9 to last week in favor of Kansas City. um, And Kelsey only had four catches for 26 yards and a touchdown. They're still trying to figure out what their what their splits are with their receivers, whether it's Sky Moore, whether it's Justin Watson, you know, Kadarius Tony to Patrick Mahomes' credit, he kept going back to him last week. He targeted him five times. He didn't yeah. drop any of those passes, probably because he knows he's out the door if that happens. But here's where the Bears, if they if there's any if there's any way that they want to try to contain this game from like a defensive perspective, because you, it's so hard to pressure Mahomes because yeah. he moves around like his time to throw, like when he's not like launching sideways passes and everything else um, or sidearm passes, but he, he can move around and he's so difficult to rush because it's like his, his movement feels unpredictable in a lot of times because it's yeah. just, he's so rare at doing that. The receivers though, the yards after the catch, yeah. That's where they kill teams. They were first last since last year. They're first in yards after the catch per reception. The Bears defense is last in defending the yards after the catch with receivers. Um so look up Elijah Hicks. That's 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 where you start. If you're Matt Eberflus now calling this defense and that's going to be what he does from here on out. Yeah. That's where you look uh to try to limit and like limit their production because and I know this is a completely, they were completely different players and probably a better equipped defense when Eberflus was there uh, in Indianapolis, but he held Patrick Mahomes to like a 53.6 total QBR in like, th- like the lowest QBR he's had when facing an opponent multiple times, including yeah. the playoffs. Like, Flus's indie defenses were really good at oh, containing yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Granted, you had like legitimate, like a really legitimate pass rush. You also had a very, very good weak side linebacker, and you had a better secondary than what the Bears have right now. But I, 
you got to, I asked Travis Smith, the defensive line coach about that. Like, can you go back to those sorts of games and watch the film for like how they did it? Because the bears under Flus haven't played Patrick Mahomes outside of the, um, outside that preseason preseason game. game. Yeah. So it's um, it's definitely it's worth watching to see like what he's able to dial up from his previous experience against this quarterback. Yeah, what I what I really I think that the two things that have been interesting through two weeks that still comparable, right? One, uh, the sack yards. Uh, let's see if Justin Fields puts his money where his mouth is on playing freely, mm-hmm. uh, because he's got ten sacks through two weeks. I would say probably six of them are on him. Um, and he's lost 69 yards. Pat Mahomes has one. Pat Mahomes' offensive down. line is not good. That tells you how quickly he's getting the ball out. That tells you how he's moving around, how he's playing freely. But the difference is here offensively is the penalty yards. The Bears have had 12 penalties. The Chiefs have had 15 offensive penalties. We've seen through two games. A lot of times they're going the wrong direction, which is killing these drives that have been so elite through this time. So, I really want to see kind of how they're going to be able to dial that up. Do you think that with Flus here, the pressure continues to increase that he brings? Saw a little bit more of a blitz than we did with Allen Williams in week one. In week two, not much, but a little bit more. Do we see more of that? Because they were pressuring Baker. They were getting around Baker. They just mm-hmm. couldn't bring Baker down. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the number was seven, that there were seven would-be sacks. That's what yeah. Travis Smith said yesterday, the D-line coach. And, you know, yeah, seven would-be sacks. <laughs> Yo, I've never heard that stat in my life. <laughs> it was moments that were missed opportunities. Let's, let's like, we, you can point it as that. Because there, oh, were, there were two God. on Unique and Gakwe alone yeah. where you're watching him try to wrap the guy up, and he's not, like. That's I'm, just such a whining answer. Be like, if we sacked that guy seven times, yeah, we'll win that game. Be like, wait a minute. <laughs> so with the Chiefs, right, I mean, We've got the sack yards. Bears haven't. Bears have struggled to create that pressure. How do we think they're going to do that? Is it is it going to be basically through more of a blitz? Is are we going to see this team kind of come out and uh, get Tremaine Edmonds in the backfield? Is this Jaquan Brisker's time to step up? How do you create that pressure around Pat Mahomes right now? Because realistically, you don't want to play that soft cover two that we've seen this team play going into this game because he will pick. That apart. It's not to say there's a great way to attack Pat Holmes, but is is that pressure something that the Bears need to maintain here? Well, it's something that is difficult to do. And we know that like the blitz percentage was up just briefly, like just yeah. a little bit. Again, it's not much, yeah. and it's not that's not their MO. They're not a defense, whether it's Alan Williams calling it, whether it's uh Matt Eberflus. They're not a defense that does a whole lot of that. So I think this is a situation where if they can like playing less soft coverage, because that's what it's been the first two weeks. Like you yeah. don't want those yards after the catch. Like the that's yak, the, yeah. that's the problem that you run into kind of head on. So I think this is a situation where Matt Eberflus is going to have to get very creative with how he's sending pressure. Yeah. And like you mentioned, whether that is linebackers coming in and trying to get into the backfield, whether that's a safety blitz, whether that's even utilizing cornerbacks in that situation, it's it's difficult to do because Patrick Mahomes really doesn't turn the ball over all that much. So like yeah. if you can't if you're not pressuring him up front, then you're really going to have to try your hardest on the back end to generate some of those turnovers. And maybe it's a situation of, you know, 
playing the receivers differently, knowing that the quarterback is usually able to make up for whatever, but that doesn't mean the players around him are. So yeah, it's also just keeping your head out of swivel, right? Like, I mean, listen, uh, Kadarius, Tony, Sky Moore, these guys have all had balls that hit them in the hands. Florida, I think Kelsey had one last week, right? Where it just bounced off his hands right into the hands of the defender. You can't you can't have that Jaquan Brisker moment where it, it literally is a gift wrap to you and you don't take advantage of it. Got to see that from the Bears this week. Uh, I think on the offensive side, let's jump into the third quarter here because the offensive side, I think, is one that's really, really big to look at. Because Justin Fields said a lot this week, right? That, that was supposed to be our number one story coming into this week that Justin Fields said, I feel like I'm playing robotic. I want to play freely. Uh, but, of course, we hear, right, when when uh, you guys in the media room asked him, what was it on? He says, you know, coaching, but then also the perfection aspect of it, which I like how people cut that part out of the whole conversation. They just... <laughs> go to the coaching part, but uh, it felt like the organization is really standing with Justin in this moment behind closed doors. Does it feel like that when you're in the building that, hey, listen, he says what he says. There's some truth to it. Flu seems like he's basically like, I want my guys to speak up. I don't want them to be scared to speak up. Mm-hmm. What What is the vibe around what, what Justin Fields said and how the team has moved on? Was the Luke Getzey Justin Fields hug real, basically? I mean, that was such a weird moment <laughs> from practice, but it was, you know, Fields, like from what I, I spoke with the source in the building who said that the, this issue was an issue for about 10 minutes, like where Justin realized he screwed up, at least in yep. his delivery of it. And it's so hard because the way that we consume media, people want sound bites. Yes. And when you're, you know, what he, what it was apparently like he was, there was a tweet he saw or was, I don't think he's, he was brought to his attention. Yeah. So, that happened and you know he comes out and he comes out hot he's saying you know i know you guys are looking for clicks i know this and that and that don't if you start like that it's never going to end well but like in the process of a minute his tone changed to i try to help you guys do your job which we obviously appreciate like people who are not robots up at the podium and can provide context and nuance to what's going on that's certainly appreciated but the like, and I have it right here. Like the, he talks about like when he's asked like about thinking less, what do you think is maybe doing that? It's, you know, it could be coaching, but they're doing their job when they're giving me what to look at. It's on him to process. Okay. Here's a, a menu of information. Yeah. Let me go through and chop up what I need, what I don't need. Like that. It's like studying. It's like yeah. how you would study. If you're a student reading a textbook. All right. Let me write my notes. You're not writing everything word for word or highlighting every single word in the textbook. You're picking and choosing what information you need to process to make sure that you do well on a test or answer all the questions. That's what he's doing here. And some of it, like they have tried to make him into more of a pocket passer and it hasn't necessarily been very successful early on. So how can he work around that? So he can feel empowered to be the quarterback that he knows he can be to play with, to play the way that he wants to play that he's that made him so successful in the first place. But also realizing that in moments, the coaching points that he's being given are things that he can fall back on where in other moments, like I, I tend to think with him, he admits he's a perfectionist and even Flus talked about that. It doesn't mean that doesn't give you the the credence to okay I'm a perfectionist I have to do it this way and ignore every all the other things the instincts how I've been playing previously in those situations like that's where 
I think the if information overload, like that's what I think he's getting to as yeah. far as like, there's too much. I just, and I think he's frustrated that he can't discern between like coaching points yet and playing freely. I think that he's got to put that on him, which he did. Yes. Um, he's not, he's not able to just be like, all right, I'm going to take this. I'm going to like throw away 30% of what I was told because it's not relevant in this moment. It might be relevant at some point. So I've got like 70% of the coaching point, 30% of my instincts meshing those together is hard. Yeah. Really hard. He's 24 years old, and there's going to be there's like two sides of the coin here. You have 27 games under your under your belt. You should be able to do that better by now. You've been in this offense for two years, but also learning how to do that when he was doing something completely different last year and having to rely mostly on himself might take a couple games before you start seeing those two blend together as seamlessly as you would expect. I thought JT O'Sullivan said it. Best when he was on with uh, Sylvie and Peggy yesterday, he said, the reason that I got a start in the NFL, the reason I finally was able to get into the game was because of how well I knew the system. Mm -hmm. But I was so tied to the system, I didn't do the things that I did well inside of the system because I had to be a system guy. That's really what I, I, I think that this could be the beginning, and I'm glad that Justin's realizing it, and I'm hoping it's the beginning because there's a lot tied to this young man where I realize now I need to be in the system, but also that I can do something that the system has no coaching points for. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to balance that out. That doesn't excuse you from when there's three receivers open on the right side of the field, you got to pull the trigger. You got to pull the trigger. But... I do think in those moments where somebody doesn't come open or you feel like you have to throw something open and you're not comfortable making that pass, I can see why what he said this week, and you got to put it in, you got to put it right. You can say everything at the podium, got to put it out there on the field. Why that could be that moment for Justin where something finally clicked where he's like, I just need to go because I'm not being me when I'm on the field. And I think we all saw that. Yeah, we did. And he looks... Like, I keep going back to the strip sack that he talked about. That was a yeah. play that he knows can be better because he knows he should operate differently in those circumstances. He's waiting for routes to be run perfectly, for routes to be timed up with his footwork. And that's yeah. so, not everything's going to be perfect in the NFL. Like, and the best quarterbacks out there can make up for deficiencies where you've got 10 other guys. Some might be doing the right thing, some might be, it might, for whatever reason, not be running the right play. Kind <laughs> One of like, guy? Yeah, One like, guy? kind is of that, like the, Ch the Chase Claypool thing the other day when he admitted on the play that backed them up to the six-yard line, the the reason because that he thought it was a run play instead of a screen pass. So he gets flagged for blocking downfield illegally. Yeah. And it, it, it's stuff like that that quarterbacks, and of course penalties are, are one thing if it's just going to negate the whole play. But yeah. Justin's got to – Learn how to work. And, and he did this last year. It's like, I think that's what he's talking about. Like relying on the things like, okay, if somebody doesn't run the right route or if somebody's route depth is off or it's not timed up properly, I've got to rely on my instincts to, to, to make the play still happen and not just wait there and take a sack where he's got to be out of the pocket. And that could be a 40 yard run at that point yeah. or something, because he's shown that he can do that. It doesn't mean just because they're playing so much zone on you that all your running lanes are going to go away. Like in those moments with the play breaks down, you got to get out and make something happen. That's what he's talking about where 
I know that we've been talking about whether, you know, everybody wants to assign blame, especially from a national perspective. People who aren't here every day want to look like zero in, parachute no. in and say, well, this happened because it's an organizational failure. Or this happened because Luke Getze is not a good play caller. Or this happened because Justin's deflecting blame everywhere without realizing that there's nuance in all of this. I've never heard Fields once blame any teammates. And I know that he came out. He was very clear about that. Yeah, I've heard him before and rightfully so talk about well why this play didn't work you know may, you know it's a tough situation with the screen pass and luke's menu of plays in that spot it's not very vast and that's okay but i don't necessarily think that's him throwing coaching under the bus i think that's no. him getting frustrated within like why is there no workaround for this and how can i get better at that but it's the delivery that people are struggling with here because of how he said it and how it was phrased to me from from a coach in the building was that the way they talked to Fields about this is that we know it's we know we know you're frustrated. We know it was a mistake, but you get one chance at saying this stuff. You don't because people see a headline, and a lot of people are too lazy to actually go read and consume yeah. the information. They see a headline, and that headline stays the same regardless of whether you try to walk things back or not. Yeah, no, and I think what sucks is right, like. I, I think in Chicago here more so we've we've been like, okay, we're gonna play this whole chunk. You take out of it what you want to take out of it. On the national side, I th saw on Thursday night they played it for Ryan Fitzpatrick. They literally only played the part where he goes, I think it's coaching. Clip ends. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So that's that's not we're not adding the nuance nationally. Now that's the and and this is a young man who, I mean, listen, last year. He was putting the blame on himself where everybody else was like, no, no, it's not you. It's mm -hmm. not you. It's Equinamia St. Brown. It's Isaiah Marcet Smith, Smith Marcet, whatever. His name. I never remember his name. Amir. He, yeah, Amir Smith Marcet. Yeah. He fumbled. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but like, I, I, it's all these other pieces. And he's like, no, it's me. I need to make a better pass. I shouldn't put us in that position. And that's, that's why, and, and that's why I think Ryan Poles was smart to get out in front of it yesterday and say that nobody here thinks that Justin's a finger pointer. Cause I think that's, that's, that's not just, that's not lip service. It's right. true. Like nobody thinks he's a finger pointer. And I, I caution people to re like what I thought Waddle and Sylvie did was smart. And I, you know, I'm not surprised because we, you know, it's a, they, they knew that there was more there. So they played the entire, oh, yeah. it was like 10 minutes of Justin Fields. So you got to hear everything. People don't have time when they're consuming things because there's so much, there's, a, you know, an information overload that's out there. People don't have time to consume things at such a high clip. So I looked at that as a convenient headline and even us, like I'll, 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 pull, I'll peel back the curtain on, on, on my situation. So I didn't like the headline initially that was on my news story that Fields was blaming the coaching staff. So I made a point to make sure that that changed, that that was not something that I felt was representative of the actual story. And yeah. that's what you do if you're responsible about this. Like you make sure that it's an accurate representation and you can go look at my Twitter account. I told you what I thought it was, and I'm going to read you my tweet directly. Like I, put a lot of different quotes out there from Justin Fields to give you a nice menu of what he said. But here's what I, this was my summation. Cause there's definitely a difference between what Fields said versus what you intimate it to mean. Right. So let me find this. Um, I said, there's a lot to unpack from Justin Fields press conference and comments that intimate he's being overcoached. He never once said the word I am being overcoached, but the comments intimate that. 
in a lot of different ways. And I said, my biggest takeaway is that the QB is telling us how he's being coached, what he's being asked to do does not align fundamentally with who he is as a player. Tell me anywhere in there that that is not truth because that's how it's being relayed and people's perceptions can be different on that. But that's where, like, that's not blaming coaching. That's, you know, what he's being coached to do, what he's fundamentally, like, really good at as a player. Those two are not syncing up. But you can find ways around that. You can find ways to fix that if you're, you know, good at what you do as an offensive play caller or somebody who designs these, you know, what the plays look like. There's ways around that. Yeah, I, and I think the the one thing that stands out to me is it feels like Fields' eyes are everywhere when I watch the tape. Right there's there's an RPO and he's trying to see okay is the is the uh, DB coming down or do I throw the screen pass? But mm-hmm. I got a blitzer kind of on the left side. I got to watch out for. Do I hand this ball off to Herbert? Do I tuck it in his in my stomach and take a run? And then all of a sudden, right, he just holds on to the football, ends up taking uh, what what ends up being a sack. But it's like. Well, you got him looking right, left, up the field, down the field, right? Like you want him looking somewhere specific that makes sense for the direction that the play is supposed to go. That's what we call over coaching. But also, I think that realistically, you're giving him all of these assignments. It's like we said at the beginning. Justin Fields has to know what information to take in and put out there and what information he can move away from. Yeah. Let's and that's, that's going to be what he has to do going forward. And it's going to be a process that that's, I caution people to think this might change like how the game looks in Kansas city. Yeah. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. It's, it's not going to be just tomorrow. Let's finish it off with this because we did get to hear from Ryan Poles. We've also heard from Flus and Getsy. Um, and we got a couple of fan questions I want to jump into that I thought were interested. But realistically, with what Ryan Poles said at the podium, of course, nothing really on Alan Williams, but you mentioned it about Justin Fields. Where does it feel like the organizational direction is right now? Does it feel like we're, we're just, okay, last this week happened, we're mm-hmm. going to play football, that's the end of this week? Or does it feel like this is something that they're going to have to deal with for a while here? I think this is a Band-Aid over... A big wound right now and wounds take time to heal they've got to find a way to quickly though heal this thing because this a two and an oh and two start with such tumultuous stuff that happened like the first you know couple weeks of the season after they thought they'd be so much better yeah that's a really tough spot for anybody to climb out of doesn't make it any easier that you go on the road to Kansas City this week and that's your test. But yeah. I, they were smart. Ryan Poles was smart to address it the way that he did to put himself out in front of it and let like the final voice be him and not have it all fall on coaching. I thought that yeah. was a very wise thing for him to do on Thursday because typically you don't see general manager, managers talk during um, during the season. That just doesn't happen that often. I think it really speaks to what the leadership is on this team at the top, top, right? That they're not just letting it... Because, I mean, listen, when we know how it was when when uh, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were here, right? Like, you wouldn't hear from Ryan Pace for the, the season, mm-hmm. basically, right? And, and a lot of general managers operate that way for whatever yeah. reason. I think that polls... You got to give him credit because every step along the way, Roquan Smith requests a trade. Polls comes out hours later and says, "Absolutely not, we're not trading him." At yeah. that point, um, you know the the situation last year at the trade deadline where there were multiple trades. Like when he trades Robert Quinn, he goes out and addresses it right away. When he 
when, you know, get trades Roquan Smith, trades for Chase Claypool, he comes out and addresses it. A lot of general managers are not willing to be that front-facing, and a lot of them hide behind, like, okay, like, I talked to you guys at the Combine. That's pretty much it. But he's been very forthcoming about what's going on and stuff that he wants to make sure is clarified. And he doesn't have to do that, but I think he's doing a really good job, at least with that. And some people may disagree, but I – I've been around general managers who don't do that. I've been around the polar opposite and it's not helpful because that, that feeds into the speculation and everything else. I thought he did a good job making sure that that stuff, at least he got out in front of it and people can believe what they want, but it was smart for him to attach his name to some of this stuff and to, to clarify what he believes things were. Yeah. Uh, questions from some of the fans here. We got a couple and then we'll, we'll get up out of here. Uh, Joe Vizo on Twitter says, Courtney, can you give us your opinion on how the move vibe is at Hallis after this news filled week? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I was honestly kind of surprised about like the locker room yesterday was pretty lively and, you know, they're trying to insulate the players from a lot of this stuff. And it should show you that with Justin Fields, Nobody thinks he's a finger pointer and like, there's no better indication of that than what the locker room vibe was. He's a pretty well revered player in that team, despite this team having lost so many games and despite his play being really not so great last week. And he knows that I, I don't think that it's as off the rails, at least with like the players as it does feel organizationally. That's, that's so interesting because it's just, it, it it speaks to what the vibe of the team has been for two years, right? Like, we've looked at this team and we're like, you guys should be ready to kill each other. Like, it's, you've lost so many games in a row. And it's just like, all right, we're on to next week. We got to figure it out. That's yeah. so crazy to me. Um, Lenny Aponte asks, uh, how has the vibe at practice been intensity hustling during the week? It's has uh, everything normal. been the same? I mean, it's felt normal. And like, we only get to be out there for a certain portion, but um, I thought that, you know, these guys are insulated again. I'll, I'll keep deferring to that because that's what it is. They're trying to protect the players. So they have a job that they have to go out and do. And, yeah. you know, you've got a lot of young players who have never been through the tumultuous nature of coaches getting fired in season. I mean, the only player I can think of who's been through as much change at least like kind of the, the everything's up in the air and probably even more so was uh, Darnell Wright when the Tennessee staff got fired and like, you know, they're there for a whole whole off season with zero direction. Yeah. Trying to figure out where they're going with stuff. Um, that was probably like the biggest, like the biggest, uh, like for a young player to have to go through that, like, at this point when you're in an NFL facility where there are player development people who like insulate players from anything that's going on, like this is a coach's issue now to handle. This is a front office issue, an organizational issue that has to be handled. And I don't know if, I don't know if the players truly like have one, you know, thought on it or not or another, because they're trying to win this game or at least like not get blown out at Kansas city. And that really should be where their focus is. I do think that coaches and I do think that like, you know, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, they should be the ones answering to this. And at least from now we've, we've heard from, from polls on it, but I'll be curious to see what Eberflus has to say as well. What's your prediction on Sunday, Courtney? 
I don't think it's going to be close. I think that this team still has a lot that they have to figure out um, between Justin Fields. Like we talked about, I just don't know if it's going to be as seamless as like, okay, like I'm going to like take less of the coaching points and blend that with what makes me a great quarterback. I think that that's easier said than done. Um, I think Mahomes gets this often, his offense back on track. And I think that Kelsey has, I predicted we had to do bold predictions. I think that he has like a four or five touchdown day. I really do. It's not what I want to hear, Courtney, but I, sorry, I kind man. of agree with you. I think uh, I think this is uh, my right. My prediction right now is 31-17. I don't feel confident. I, I just I think there's a long way to go with this. Like you said, it's not football's not flip a switch. This ain't a Disney movie, right? Like I'd, yeah. I'd love for all these words this week to be here we go. Now we rally around the troops, but maybe I'm wrong, right? And this is the win that gets the Bears moving in the right direction. Maybe we're all completely wrong and uh, we'll be pleasantly surprised on uh, Sunday uh, and especially me on the post-post game show. You'll hear me losing it over there if, if, if we go out and put a win. 